like anyone who starts getting into business at a young age failed miserably, like made every mistake you can think of. But I did realize that if I wanted to be successful in business, that would require other people. Welcome to Conversations with Connors, a NetworkWise podcast, and I'm your host, Adam Connors. NetworkWise trains and educates individuals and organizations in the science and art of networking to accelerate sales, personal development, and career opportunities. In Conversations with Connors, I talk with a variety of highly successful individuals in order to gain insights on how they built, maintain, and cultivated their relationships in order to live a life by design, not by default. Today, we get the opportunity to sit down with Jared Kleiner, CEO of Kleiner Ventures, but probably most recognized as the most connected millennial. Besides being an entrepreneur, Jared is a TED and keynote speaker and an award-winning author. As you'll see or hear, Jared is very articulate and ambitious. Whether he likes it or not, he's also acutely aware of the influence that he yields, especially on the millennial generation. Personally, I find it to be a lot of pressure, but Jared seems to just keep it in stride. Being that Jared is what most people refer to as a super connector, we were able to get deep on many topics centered around relationships. He shares with us what it means to be a connector, some of the biggest obstacles people encounter building their networks, the best time to build your network, the type of mindset one should have when meeting people for the first time, or any time for that matter, as well as where he sees most people dropping the ball when it comes to their relationships. Regardless of what generation you fall in, anyone interested in learning what it takes to build and maintain relationships will walk away with many takeaways. This information is transcend generational. I'll now get off my soapbox and let you delight in my conversation with Jared Kleiner. Enjoy. So Jared, as I was just saying, this isn't your first rodeo. How many of these bad boys have you done? Probably done a few dozen, probably 25 to 50 podcasts. And then I do a lot of speaking around the world and I also facilitate a lot of meetings and stuff. So I've learned how to ask questions. I've learned how to like snap myself in if I'm not feeling it. But yeah, I'm always excited and honored to be on shows. And yours is very interesting because you talked about topics near and dear to my heart, like networking and relationship building. (laughs) So I also feel like you're more Joe Rogan-esque than most people. Like you're all about making it comfortable and just shooting the shit. And (sighs) he's awesome. You know, other podcasters have their A, B, C, D, E parts to their show and they're very regimented and try and get specific nuggets out of you. And and that's cool. It works for them. But I like the laid back Rogan-esque approach. We're going to have some fun. You bring so much to the table. Obviously, what you do is near and dear to my heart as well. (laughs) So my only concern for today is that there just aren't going to be enough hours in the day. I'd love to get rolling. Well, even Beyonce has 24 hours. It's well said. So, <laughs> yeah, Time to me is the most precious commodity in the world. I mean, you can make fun of my kids. That's fine. You can take my money. I'll get that money back. But the time, like we said, is the most precious commodity. Money comes and goes. Time just goes. I'm excited to spend this time with you. Pick your brain. Let our listeners hear your story and hopefully walk away with a whole bunch of nuggets of goodness in terms of building relationships, networking, better understanding of what networking is, how to build relationships, things that you've done, the people that you've surrounded yourself with, and make sure that people really get the value of what it is that you're doing. You're in New York today. You're from New York, right? But you live in Atlanta? I'm from Florida originally. My whole family is New Yorkers, and I used to live in New York for about four years. We moved to Atlanta about a year ago and come to New York once a month, once every two months. Love it. It's my favorite place in the world. That's great. So you've come home, but you're not just here just for your mother's birthday. You've got some events. uh, Happy birthday, mom, retroactively (laughs) since we celebrated last night. And I don't know when she'll listen to this, but yeah, I run some mastermind events. And so we have an event this weekend called Meeting of the Minds. And we have been doing that once every two months or so. We'll end up doing it quarterly, but this year is the first year we're doing that. So a lot of energy around it. We've done two in Atlanta. We've done one in LA, our second in New York. We even partnered with the government of Bermuda, of all places, for one in September. And then 
probably going back to LA in November. So we'll probably do like a seven if I can count correctly <laughs> this year. Next year we'll probably end up doing quarterly. But yeah, just a lot going on in New York. But that's part of why I love it. I always feel like I can use my time wisely when I'm in New York and I get stuff done quicker than anywhere else. It's just you feel more alive. You're pretty good with your time management. That was something that I picked up and you got some pretty good habits around how you manage your time, emails, things like that. Do you mind sharing those? I mean, the biggest thing is having restraints. So one of them is I have an executive assistant who helps. And so during most weeks, this week's different, but during most weeks, I'm actually locked out of my two main email accounts and I have a third email account. And so I only get new emails once a day. And unless you're on like a super VIP email list, which is just like bank and mom and girlfriend and like super important clients, everyone else, I don't see your email until the next day and until my assistant has looked at it through different protocols that we've set up. And so that really helps. And I'm still horrible with checking my inbox. I check my third email like a rat on a cocaine pellet dispenser. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) that's why I had to set up this system. So that really helps. And having someone, even if it's a virtual assistant, which that's the case for me, that's someone you can delegate tasks to and hopefully have them check you on how you're using your time. Because now you're managing someone who you're paying hard-earned money for, and you want to make sure they're using their time wisely and also your own. So that's really helpful. If you're an entrepreneur or business owner listening to this, that's the number one thing you should do if you haven't already is get an executive assistant, virtual assistant both someone who's an executive assistant that is virtual. That's easily the biggest personal change you can make. Yeah, and then everything comes after that. I mean, I've been trying to work out more and keep my health up, which is an investment of 30 or 60 minutes, three or four times a week. But I feel less angry (laughs) after I do that and feel generally healthier. And I've been running, so it's been building some mental toughness, which is important as a snowflake millennial, <laughs> as I would be uh, characterized by some boomers, especially maybe some boomers who watch Fox. <laughs> I don't think I'm a snowflake millennial, but yeah, you get my point. So it's nothing crazy, nothing unique. I think maybe the idea of having a third or a separate email account and then having sort of auto forward mechanisms and someone who manages that, that's probably the most unique idea I can offer. That's a good one. So That would, I can just imagine in my own life, free up a significant amount of time. How are you maximizing that time? What are you doing with that time? Where are your energies going? Yeah, most of my time is spent identifying, connecting with, and befriending top-performing millennials. That's where all my work comes from. It's I sort of view it as my job to see who's out there doing incredible things at a young age from all different walks of life and all over the world. If possible, I want to connect with them and ultimately befriend them. I've written two books, Two Billion Under 20 and Three Billion Under 30, that study these top performing millennials and have actually can, I've had about 150 people, 75 for each book, contribute their formative life experiences and practical takeaways for our readers in those books. And so that's part of the studying and research is actually taking everything I'm seeing and all the conversations I'm having and emails back and forth and getting it into other people's hands and other corporations' hands so that they can achieve exponential success in record time. That's where everything comes from. I've been able to write two books as a result of that work. I'll probably work on more books in the future. I've started running these mastermind events, which bring together some of our more financially successful book contributors and readers and mentors of mine. And I get invited to speak here and there. But all of it comes as a result of being a connector. And so if if I can be the one to take some of these super impressive, super entrepreneurial minds from all different walks of life and have them talk to each other and then also sort of share things with me that I can be a megaphone for them to share with the rest of the world or some larger group of people, that's where most of my time is spent. Excellent. Talk to me about what being a connector means to you, because I think that that's a really important thing that a lot of people miss out on. They take their network just for themselves and they don't understand that it's almost at least how I look at it as an obligation to share it. So if you don't mind, educate the audience on what a connector is, how to be one, and best ways to facilitate some of the introductions. Oh, that's a lot right there. It's the next hour. Like a normal person versus a connector. A connector 
in my eyes, sees when people in their network are connected with one another, when new people they're meeting are connected to people that they already know, provides value all around. It's, it becomes a win-win-win situation to make introductions, to build bridges, create community. And that's sort of the work of a connector. Whereas other people, like you said, you see it as an obligation or they don't understand the full value that comes with making a timely curated intro. I mean, that can change someone's life personally, professionally, all around. And as you get better and better at building your network and meeting people and connecting others, it becomes a way you can offer value that maybe takes three seconds or 10 seconds or a minute of your time and can change someone's business or life. So someone who's a connector, like you said, sees the value in building community in connecting the dots in the neural network that is the mastermind of their community. That's part of what they spend their day doing. And you asked how I spend my time. Like a lot of my time is spent making email intros and doing things that service multiple people and put them in a Facebook group that they can connect with other people or put them at an event where they can meet other people. And it's in that connection that I become a connector. <laughs> and it's a huge way to offer value. Have you always been a connector? No. I was actually a pretty shy kid growing up. I took myself really seriously until 13, 14, 15, always sat at the adults table, which is fine, but very serious. I was pretty shy. And then I got into business at 15. And like anyone who starts getting into business at a young age, failed miserably, like made every mistake you can think of. But I did realize that if I wanted to be successful in business, that would require other people. And so getting involved in business, starting my own company at a young age, forced me out of my shell. And so 16 years old, I get my driver's license in South Florida, and I'm starting to drive to conferences and to go meet people and putting myself out there, building that muscle, and then maybe getting even more bold and daring and going to talk to the keynote speaker at an event after they get off stage or two hours later at the cocktail reception. And it's a muscle for sure. And even today, I'm I know how to be outgoing. I know how to talk to people. And so you could throw me in a situation, even if I'm tired or even if I'm disinterested or my mind's elsewhere, I, I can connect with people in a meaningful and authentic way. You're not just my mind's elsewhere, but it's definitely a skill and learning how to ask questions, learning how to have conversation, learning how to listen. It's all a muscle. I think that's why you do this podcast. You want to help people build that muscle. That's exactly it. What is it that you teach? Talk about your course. I'd love for people to hear about what it is, the course that you're offering. And then I want to dig into some of the things that you're teaching people. I mean, as context, I'm in my early 20s. And so from 15 and being shy to early 20s, being an entrepreneur, writing some books, done a TED talk and two TEDx talks, I have had to make some solid connections along the way and learn from people much smarter than me, more experienced than me about how the business world works and how to secure a book deal and how to get on stages and how to earn customers. Some of my clients have been New York Times bestselling authors and major speakers and VC-backed startups and record-setting crowdfunding campaigns. And with my books, I had to like actually convince people to give me their formative life experiences and trust me with their stories, which isn't always the easiest thing to do. And so I've been building this muscle to the point where I'm now mini Arnold Schwarzenegger in relationship building. <laughs> I've never described myself as that before, but if we want to keep going with this analogy. And so now I have a lot of people that ask me how to network and how to build relationships and how to connect with people and how to build community and all this stuff. And even if they're asking me for very specific things, like how do you get a TEDx talk, they're sort of asking about the meta skills. And so... I've had books at $30. I have a mastermind group starting at $12,000 a year to be a part of it. And there's nothing really in between. And so there's like a trial membership to our group that's still like $3,000. And I've been thinking about a course, already tried making this course in the past, but didn't really give it a lot of love and attention. But I have the URL and I have a course now in a partnership with teachable.com for a new course called Super Connector Secrets. And so it's all the networking relationship building insights I have and templates for cold emails and warm intros and scripts and breakdowns of how I cold emailed someone like Keith Ferrazzi who wrote 
uh, Never Eat Alone, which is the book on networking and relationship building. And how did that turn into me growing my marketing consulting firm with him as my first client? Or how did I reach out to David Hassel, who's the CEO of 15.5, and he was called the most connected man you don't know in Silicon Valley. He was the gentleman I ended up sending a cold email to when I was 16, working for and with until 18. And so that's what I'm throwing into this course is just as much insights on networking relationship building that I have. Um, very excited about it. I've had a 20 person paid beta group giving me feedback. And so they're actually like have some skin in the game. They're looking to get an ROI on having invested in being beta testers. And so I had them look at all the old material that I had from, I think, late last year, late 2017. We're recording this in middle of 2018 and seeing what questions they have from the old content and then asking me what they want to learn now or telling me what they want to learn. I was asking them. And then this new course is sort of all the updated stuff. Uh, and so by the time you hear this, it'll probably be on superconnectorsecrets.com and hopefully we'll get the show to share it. Yeah, we'll put everything in the show notes too for anyone that yeah. that is interested. All that will be there. What do you see as some of the biggest obstacles that people face when it comes to building their network? I think it can be daunting. You hear an interview like this or you listen to some of the other episodes and individuals you've had on the podcast and these are people that may seem like they're three, four, five steps ahead of you, at least with the skill of relationship building and connecting. But you don't have to start there. I think making it a little more bite-sized and actually thinking about what you can do right now to increase your network and build your influence and connect with other individuals, that's probably where I'd start and remove that barrier of sort of overthinking this. And so for me, when I was 16, I didn't have a network. And yet I saw in David, someone who's a super connector. It's not only do they have that connector mindset, but they're like the best in the world at that skill set. They're really well regarded in their industry. They are a subject matter expert at what they do. And then they also have this connector mindset. So I call those super connectors. And it really only takes one super connector in your network to change your life. And so by offering to work for free with David in exchange for his mentorship, there was my first super connector. And now we were off to the races. And maybe I was just walking, but I wasn't at the start line. Now it's moving. And then David would invite me to different events. And I would mingle with people he really cared about and people that he learns from. And suddenly I had new mentors and other super connectors in my network. So now I had two, three, four, 10, 20, 50 relationships with super connectors. And now I have a network full of people that are connectors and super connectors or they're people that are subject matter experts and just real craftsmen and women at what they do, even if they're not super connected. And so that becomes a very powerful force behind whatever it is you're working on. So what do you say to the person that's intimidated by networking and doesn't feel that they bring much to the table? I'd love to hear from you sort of what that first super connector in your life was and maybe how you fought those same questions if you've ever had that yeah so that nice i like that you just hold on me here so everyone knows you i'm yeah. the i'm the redheaded stepchild of your show so well i've had a few to answer i guess the question that i just posed at you first everybody has something to bring to the table and you don't realize there's so many things it doesn't matter just being able to speak english you'd be surprised there's value there sometimes even just being able to listen the higher you go up in the food chain with who you talk with, sometimes they just need an ear, someone that will just listen to them. And there's value to that. Absolutely. So there are so many things that we all bring to the table. It's just a matter of really being confident in that and just putting yourself out there. Tell us about the first connector, super connector that you built a relationship with that allowed you to supercharge your career? Sure. That's an excellent question. So his name's Jim Zagelmeyer and he owns FAO Works, I think is exactly what it is. Jim, I'm sorry if I've botched that, but he actually got me one of the first jobs, like real jobs at 9X when I was in high school. And he was just a fantastic guy. I felt that I had his full attention, even though he was a few years my senior, had a good role, made me feel as if I was the center of attention, got me a very good job that I probably wasn't qualified for the time. But he also, what he did is he stayed in touch with me. And a lot of people don't do that. They don't follow through. So that was another thing that he did. So he recognized something in me and felt that I was worth his time, his attention, time, what we talked yeah. about being And how, how did you overcome the overwhelmingness of connecting with someone of his stature? Was there any like 
internal or mental roadblocks to building the relationship that you had to like think through and get through? The short answer is no, because I think, again, it was too young to have obstacles in my head. So I don't think that was the case. And it was just, again, I think more of a testament to who he was and how he carried himself that I was just kind of in his wake, if you will. So just watching how he interacted, the people that he was introducing others to, the life that he was leading was something that made an impression on me. That was something that I just kind of digested, kind of put in the back of my brain and just kept moving on in life. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, I do believe in the power of doing this as young as possible. And doesn't mean if you're listening to this and you're 30 plus that you just give up. You know, it just means that you got to do this now and not wait five years, 10 years. Yeah, I was talking to Ivan Meisner. You know who that is from B&I, Dr. Ivan Meisner. And he had a great, I forget exactly. I asked him a question very similar to that. And he said, Adam, you know when the best time to build your network was, right? And I said- Three years ago. He said, 20 20 years ago. 20? (laughs) Yeah. And I said, okay, great. He goes, you know when the next best time is? And I said, now? He says, yeah. (laughs) So yeah, no, it's true. I mean, to your point, I think it's great that you've gotten a jump from a mature standpoint. I was barely a human 20 years ago. So (laughs) (laughs) the only network I have is mom and dad and (laughs) some grandparents, thankfully. Yeah. But it's great that you get it. I used to own an executive search firm and I would always, I had an opportunity to interview just a significant amount of really impressive people that ran hedge funds, family offices, investment banks. And I would always ask the people that I was most impressed with, what would you do different in your life? What is something if you could rewind the clock? And every single one of them told me what they would have done different is they would have built their network more, nurtured it, or it had something to do with networking and relationships. They attributed all, you know, obviously they were smart and successful in their own right, but that's just a piece of it. And then there was a study that someone turned me on to uh, Harvard, Stanford, and Carnegie Mellon. They did a combined study on success and what it takes. And they said knowledge and technical skills are 15% of what it takes to get a job, to get a job, keep a job, and succeed in a job. The other 85% are people skills. Yeah, that's why I'll forever be grateful to David and the rest of his team at 15.5 for sort of turning on that light bulb in my head at a young age. Yeah. Where are you seeing it show up? I mean, obviously it is your life, but is there anything in particular that really stands out for you in terms of how these relationships have benefited you? Oh, yeah. It's how you learn. So who you surround yourself with becomes your sources of education. And you could say, well, I can read books and learn something, but how are you learning what books to read? Typically, you're being told by someone else what books to read, even if it's listening to a podcast and you don't know the person that's telling you this on an individual basis, but they're sort of like a virtual mentor or voice in your ear telling you to read a book. Like, it's people. How do you find your partner in life? Like, that is another person that you're going to be side by side with, hopefully for life or until you break off that relationship. And that is one of the most influential people in your inner circle. Same with clients. If you're doing anything in marketing or sales, HR, like who you surround yourself with becomes the talent pool for your company. It becomes how you get the word out about your company. It becomes how you self-educate. It becomes everything. So people at the end of the day is, is business. I actually think now is a great time to be building these skills and leveraging them because we are in a world that has increasingly placed focus on technical skills. And yet, what's the constant when technical skills are changing so rapidly? And also, we're going to go into a world of artificial intelligence that can do those things better than us. Until we're all robots, it's people skills and social skills. So I think those people, social, soft skills, whatever you want to call them, are increasingly valuable. And for me, it's definitely been a differentiator. It's why I spend so much time thinking about who I'm meeting and also how I'm meeting them and then working on that skill set. What's your mindset as you go into any interaction with somebody that you're meeting, whether it's the first time or maybe that you've known forever? I don't know if you've got a different mindset. Yeah, it's what you were saying before we got on air, which is it looks to provide value. And it doesn't mean that every time that you're talking to someone, you are going to be providing value. You may be asking for something, but it's also being okay with someone saying no to what you're asking, or if they're slow to email you, it may not be a personal thing. It may just be they're busy, or they didn't see the email, or they meant to respond, but they didn't, or 
whatever. So it's be a good person. So that has the baseline. It shouldn't even need to have been said, but you're really respecting everyone, even if you disagree with them, even if they're coming at you and being a hater, <laughs> you got to respect them. And I've had a couple of relationships that have gone awry recently, and I have to really flex that be a nice person thing, especially when the other party is saying, I'm not a nice person, I'm not acting with integrity. Like That's when it's even more important to really dig deep and wonder if you're actually walking the walk when I'm telling everyone to be a nice person. But for the most part, I think I'm a pretty good person and treat everyone with respect, whether they're just some random person I meet at a coffee shop or like I'm going to do a talk tonight with WeWork and someone's going to walk up afterwards and say hi and I don't know who they are or what they're doing and if they can benefit me or not, but I'm not going to care. I'm just going to treat them with respect and just answer their questions and connect. That's number one. But number two is then providing value up front. And then I try and be as intentional as possible about my relationship building efforts. And so that's where balancing intentionality with being a good person comes into play. Because if I allocate the hours that I have in the day, I spend probably 80% of my time building relationships with super connectors and looking at who's going to join my mastermind group and be a JV partner for my course and all the things that are going to advance my agenda, which is totally cool. But I also, as I'm connecting with influencers and super connectors, need to be a good person when other people are reaching out to me. And even if it means telling them no or not doing what they're asking me, like you can reject that in a nice way. Like there's, you could be respectful and still say no, or you could be respectful and not give value to who's asking for it. So it becomes important to balance those things. But that's my mindset. It's like be a good person, provide value up front, and then be intentional about who you're building relationships with. Where do you see most people drop the ball? Probably the value part. A lot of people will reach out and it's me, me, me. It's this is what I'm doing. Can you share it? It's some version of that. And providing value can like it doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. Like you can provide value and still benefit yourself like you're doing right now. I mean, this podcast is a great way to provide value to me, to your listeners. It helps you because I'll bring people to listen to you more. We're building a relationship. Who knows where that'll go? But it's a win-win-win situation. I'm a big fan of that. I think that's a great use of time and very strategic. And I think for most people, it comes from the right place. Like I don't get any sense at all that you're not being a good person, that you're not, you know, have good intent. I get the opposite. I, I feel like you're very welcoming and you, know, you reached out and it was very chill and Joe Rogan-esque. <laughs> that's what I look for. Too, it's I you know I'll run away from people that have low integrity or that I get a bad vibe from. As weird as that vibe word is for the non millennials listening, but in a nutshell, that'd be my mindset. Yeah, I agree with everything that you're saying. What about follow up and follow through? Talk to me. What about, about something you don't agree with? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, I'm just maybe kidding. we'll find something. I don't know. Follow up in emails or what sort of? Just in general. So I was. I can't remember if I read this or if I heard it on a podcast and I actually disagree with the statistic. It actually said 71% of people do not follow up on what they say they're going to do. And I don't know if it, I can't remember if it was at after a first meeting or if it was just a business meeting. And I felt like that number was low. I don't know if you've got, and, and I'm a big proponent of following up. I think it's for a variety of reasons. It speaks to your character. It shows that you listen. It shows that you care. I mean, I could just keep going on and on. So I don't know if you had a strong opinion or if I'm just being ridiculously anal. No, <laughs> I think it's really important. It's one of the things that I try and do my best with, and I'm not perfect. And it's also something I expect from other people to follow up if they promise something. It's one of my pet peeves with family with others if they're just a no-show for something or like I, I was late to our recording today but I told you in advance that I was going to be late and then I updated you and so not that that's a perfect scenario but it's better than you did the right thing better than ghosting <laughs> another millennial term yeah it's better than not following through so I'm a big fan of that I would say follow-up is also important if you're trying to establish a relationship so if you send a cold email to someone send a follow-up email in three days or four days. Just, hey, checking in, making sure you got this. A lot of times people, again, are inundated with messages or work or all the above. And it's not that they don't want to get back to you. It's they are just busy. So I think it's important to follow up. That, that could be a sales conversation. It could be a marketing conversation, You know, continuing to provide value and have touch points with your ideal customer before they're going to ultimately give you the value of their money and time. So yeah, I guess the general idea of following up is important. 
Do you notice a generational difference in, say, millennials versus Generation X or even Generational Z when it comes to following up? I don't really. I think most people suck at it, and it's not even our faults as humans. Equal opportunity. (laughs) Yeah, I think we are just not wired to handle everything that's coming our way. Like, There's way more information coming our way than ever before. There's way more access to people coming our way than ever before or at our fingertips. There's more notifications on our phone. And so it's tempting to commit to things. It's easier than ever to decommit to things after you've committed. I don't think it's necessarily a generational gap. I think it's an individual basis sort of thing. And I wouldn't judge someone based on their age. It's like, I'm going to let you start at neutral. And if you prove me wrong, then all right. I know if you follow through, I am impressed because I just don't expect it. <laughs> but yeah, that's sort of how I approach it. Isn't it crazy the bar is that low that you're just impressed? It is, if they but you can, right you can yeah. use that to your advantage. So you can, if you're making a sales pitch, if you're following through with all the documents, or if you're reaching out for an opportunity and you're following up and you show you done your research, and if you're getting ready for a phone call at an hour before the phone call, you get an email like with clear agenda and outline for what should be discussed. And then there's a follow-up email with what we just discussed. You can easily tell if someone's on their game or not. Yeah, I completely agree. So how does it feel to essentially represent a generation? (laughs) Because it's true. I mean, that's a fair statement. No? I don't think that way. Uh, I think you're being humble. No, I am very adamant about saying I focus on top-performing millennials. So there's maybe 5,000 people or so that I'll include in my studies or in my purview. And those are people that have collectively started companies worth billions of dollars and have hundreds of millions of people that they're impacting through their work. So it's like the founder of WordPress, co-founder of Duolingo. It's people that started media companies like Elite Daily and Odyssey and Mogul. It's champion athletes. It's New York Times bestselling authors. It's people that have accomplished a lot in a short amount of time in their field. And it could be they've invented something. It could be a nonprofit founder. But these people are clearly far and away not only more advanced in our own millennial generation, but they're also just beating out most humans, (laughs) regardless of age. And so those are the people I study. And the only reason I care that they're millennials is because they've done all that in such a short amount of time. And so then it becomes a really captivating set of outliers and case studies to bring to the people I partner with, which are top thought leaders and Fortune 1000 companies and VC-backed startups and even governments as of recent. It's because all of those groups do want access to top-performing millennials to hire them for their companies, market to a more affluent audience because they want to achieve exponential success in record time, like the people I study. But they're also like looking for the insights that I've called from those people. And so I definitely don't feel like I represent all millennials everywhere. I think it's also near impossible to do that because there's about 2 billion people in the world at or under 20 years old. There's about 3 billion people in the world at or under 30 years old. That's the reason I named my books the way I did. And trying to represent 3 billion people is like saying, I'm going to represent all men. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So it's something I actually used to like argue with a lot. Like I think the main insights coming out of 2 billion under 20 were why do young people hold more power than ever before? And like, I think that was the original title of my Ted talk. Then they changed it to like how millennials hold more power than ever before, which is fine with me. I don't really care. And so I would give these like 45 minute talks to 50 C-suite and SVP executives from Fortune 1000 companies. And then I get these questions about, well, everything you said is cool, but like my millennial at home doesn't want to do the dishes. And what does that say about society? (laughs) I'm like, well, that's your problem. And it's a one person thing. Number one. Number two, in that scenario, we're talking about maybe millennials that work in corporate settings for senior executives. Like that's not billions of people. That's maybe 20 million people or 10 million people. So it's still a smaller segment. You can't categorize the entire generation that way. And three, it doesn't do anyone any good to talk like that. Like, let's talk about how we solve problems and not about the problems unless we're talking about problems to highlight it for solving them. So it really annoyed me for a couple of years as the book came out and we were fortunate enough to get a lot of press and it was the number one entrepreneurship book of 2015, according to the Axiom Business Book Awards, which doesn't mean anything, but we beat out Peter Diamandis in the category. So that means something <laughs> to me, at least. He's an impressive guy. Have you uh, met him? I or? haven't met him. Yeah. I've met his right-hand woman, 
Well, actually, I haven't met her in person, but I've had a digital relationship with her and I've had her get on some podcasts and stuff. Have you been to Singularity University? Have you I have, yeah. There? How awesome is that place? Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. You're like walking around and it's like, ooh, that's where they put a rocket. <laughs> I learned more. I did the program there and I did nice. it through the Tony Robbins. It's called the Platinum Partnership thing anyways. I learned more in three days there. They did like a crash course. They did like an executive course. Then I did all of college. Yeah. It was powerful. So that's why I don't really categorize millennials in one fell swoop. I think it's, I put that caveat in front of all my like corporate talks or even if I'm like talking to just most people and I mention it on my LinkedIn platform as well. I'm like, I study top performing millennials. They're very different. There's not a lot of them. And for good reason. It's what they do is really hard and we should all aspire to be like them, which is why I do all this work and I think making insights from 3 billion under 30 more age agnostic and more industry agnostic has been a major positive for me, at least, because it opens the conversation up. It, it like disarms Gen Xers and boomers because I'm not trying to have a bash between generations. I'm trying to increase intergenerational understanding and get to more positive conversations about how do we unite people? How do we have a multidisciplinary approach to problem solving? How do we establish a meeting of the minds, whether it's in a corporate setting or even on an island like in Bermuda? Like they have a challenge right now, just like we do in the States of having two Bermudas, their their premier, which is like their version of the president would would say. So that you have the haves and the have nots. And how do we fix that? Because that's a problem. And maybe the haves would tell you it's not a problem, but it's a problem. So same thing in the US, same thing in a lot of places in the world and just like the world in general. And so rather than like the have nots bashing the haves and the haves bashing the have nots, like that doesn't accomplish anything. Like why don't we connect everyone? So you've studied a lot of these top performers. What are some of the common threads that you found amongst all of these people? Yeah. I mean, they get the full version, you know, check out 3 billion under 30. <laughs> um, no, I think they all put themselves in a position to be exponentially successful, meaning they've experimented with something that isn't normal or isn't what other institutions have done. So when Matt Mullenweg, who started WordPress, was beginning to create that technology, he built an open sourced platform when everyone else was building closed source software. And so I won't get too technical in going on on that. But worst case scenario, the the six months or so that he put into building WordPress and making it open sourced went nowhere. He was 19. He could have easily went and coded for a company doing a closed sourced product, or he could have made other technology that was closed sourced. But instead, he dedicated that time, did an experiment. He's like, what if I built this open source platform? And he made himself unique and was rewarded for it. So now we're looking at WordPress powering over one third of all websites on the internet. It's owned by a company called Automatic, which Matt owns, and it's a billion dollar company. So his work literally is used by hundreds of millions of people every single day. And that wouldn't have happened if he did what everyone else in the industry was doing or follow the stereotypical path, which for him at 19 was to get a job, be there 40 years, clock out, retire. He's like, I'm going to try this other thing. And if it doesn't work, I'll go back to the drawing board or I'll just go back to the tried and true way. But if it does work, I'll potentially be rewarded for it. So a lot of our book contributors have done that, their version of that, whether it's Jake Paul, who was playing around Vine when that was like not a big social media platform. And he became one of the biggest Vine stars and then was able to translate that to Instagram and YouTube before Vine died. It's Gerard Adams when he started Elite Daily with his partners, like they were writing articles and covering stories in a different way than other media outlets were. And that voice resonated with people. So everyone has their own experiment I see that they've done and it might have taken five, ten tries, but they kept setting themselves up for exponential success by saying, hey, I'm going to try this for one month, two months, three months, six months, not spend a lot of money on it. I can always go backwards and in a more traditional way. But if it works, it's going to work in a big way. That's great. So something, a question that I get asked a lot, and I'd love to get your perspective on is if somebody wants to meet somebody else, how would you go about, I don't know whether it's an owner of a certain company in a field of interest to you. So say the gentleman that you just mentioned that invented WordPress, say you didn't know him, but you want to know him. Walk me through the steps about how you would get in front of that person 
And I'd, I'd love to hear the steps of just for the layman who doesn't necessarily have the network that you have right now. I could try. I'll give you the two other like high level overview commonalities among top performing millennials first, and then okay. I'll go yeah. back to that uh, just real quickly. Yeah, thank you. I had already my ADD kicked in. And I'd I- say put yourself in a position to be exponentially successful. Share your ideas and share your work. So podcasts, start an email list, share on social media in a interesting and unique and authentic way and with some depth as opposed to just a vacation selfie. Share your work and start building a little bit of a following and then out-collaborate the competition. Most of our book contributors are very collaborative. They've even started companies that pride themselves and work on collaboration, whether it's open source or building a media network with contributors or partnering with other people who are more seasoned or if they're social media influencers doing collabs. Like, I think most Orbo contributors do those three things. They put themselves in a position to be exponentially successful. They start building a following and then they out-collaborate the competition. The collaboration's key. I think that's an important one, I think, to me at least, that stands out the most. Yeah, it's win-win-win-win opportunities and creating that as much as possible. I don't think other generations are doing that near as much as the millennials. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to like stereotype <laughs> you know, for gen- other generations like I don't want to for millennials, but that being said, I'd probably agree with you. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I'll tell you why I said so there are a couple of friends of mine that have incubators. So sometimes I'll go in and I'll speak to them or I'll, I'll advise. And what I notice is that more often than not, it is for the quote unquote millennials that are actually working with or being more mentor-esque, if you will, to some of the older generations. And I think it's just something that I've picked up on myself. So it's really interesting to hear you say that and kind of reinforce just something that I was thinking about, but had no science behind. Yeah. Back to Matt. How do you establish contact with people was the question. Yeah. It doesn't have to be him. I was just giving an example because I think it's important. A lot of times people just get into, you know, they feel again, maybe they don't have much to bring to the table or they just don't know how to, even if they've built a network, they don't know how to necessarily access it. Yeah. So this is the first module in the course is connecting with yourself because how else are you going to connect with others if you don't know what sort of value you bring to the table, what types of people you're looking to meet and why you're looking to meet them and maybe some actions or ways that you can go about exchanging that value. And so breaking those down, like, why do I want to meet Matt Mullenweg? You know, do I want to meet him because it's an ego thing and I just want a selfie? And like, that happens with like Gary Vaynerchuk a lot. Like everyone wants to like run into Gary, take a selfie and get a bunch of likes on social media. But they don't actually want to meet him <laughs> or they haven't really thought through why they want to meet him. And if taking that selfie is a really good idea or if it's going to actually hinder the relationship building process, which it normally does. And so step one is get clear about what types of people you're trying to meet, do a, like a relationship action plan, which Keith Ferrazzi talks about in Never Eat Alone. We've sort of created like a modern day relationship action plan, which is mostly the same thing, just a few additional nuances to it. And think through like what type of person you want to become, what your goals are, and the types of people who can help you become that person or accomplish those things faster. It's important to note that I said types of people and not individuals, because saying you want to meet someone like Gary Vaynerchuk might be saying, I want to meet someone that runs a $100 million agency that has lots of followers on social media, who's a man and likes sports. And there may be like five people that actually fit that profile. So then it takes a little bit of the ego out of Gary versus not Gary. Uh, It could be other people. And so again, that's a very hyperbolic example, but if you're looking to meet like your ideal customer, for example, well, let's quantify what an ideal customer is from any metrics that you have. You know, if it's a B2B sale, like how many employees are at the company, what type of titles will that person have, what industries, where are they located, yada, yada, yada. And then from a qualitative standpoint, how can you define someone qualitatively? Like, do they write a certain way on social media? Do they appear at certain events? How do they self-educate? Like what sort of podcasts do they listen to? I mean, you can get really crazy if you're trying to build an ideal customer profile, but at a lesser level, you can do this with your relationship action plan. Just quickly think, it doesn't even have to be a huge process. Just like think through with the types of people you want to meet and that goes on the table or on your wrap. And then Next is like, what value do you bring to the table? Well, I have a podcast. I have these books I can promote. I have these people in my network who are good to meet for certain people. 
or I also am getting into running and so I've recently lost 20 plus pounds. And so someone Congrats. who, it, thank you. If someone who's like trying to lose weight, I can offer that value to them. Even if it doesn't matter if they're super successful or not successful, that may be valuable to them at that moment. And so there's a bunch of different ways that you can provide value. You can provide value to someone's family. If someone's like helping out my girlfriend or my parents or grandparents, like I'm going to find that to be valuable doesn't directly benefit me in a way, but indirectly, maybe it makes my life easier. So there's all these different ways to provide value to people. And then you can think through all the actions that you could take, whether it's putting together events, putting together dinners, hosting a show, getting a blog, maybe it's sending gifts, and it could be a thank you note, it could be a small gift, it could be a crazy gift, it could be all these different ways or different actions you could take to provide that value. So getting really clear about who you are, what you bring to the table, that has to come first before anything else. And so that's step one, module one. And then everything else is just about if you don't have a network, you have to start meeting super connectors. And so how do you cold email those people? Or how do you get yourself those opportunities and those relationships? How do you leverage those relationships? How do you build social proof so that you can leverage your social proof in meeting people? How do you maintain your network once you have a network, right? Because that's probably a challenge for you as it is for me. It's the more people you meet, how do you keep in touch with people? How do you follow up to keep providing them value? It becomes a challenge. And so all these things are things I'm constantly thinking about. And yeah, I mean, we can probably spend the rest of this sode on all that and more, but... Can I interject for one second? Because they're... No. They're, they're <laughs> it's my show now. Yeah. <laughs> of course you can interject. So... Let's talk about you and how you maintain your relationships. Like, I'm sure you've got some kind of CRM, but do you allocate a certain time of day? Do you allocate a certain time of week, month, quarter to do certain check-ins? Do you do a yearly audit? Yeah, I don't. I'm playing around with a couple different CRM tools that are in like beta testing because there's just, I just haven't found a great one from an individual basis. There's a few from a corporate standpoint, but I'm playing around with some tech, but honestly, it's because I'm intentional about who I surround myself with and how I connect with them, it makes life easier for me. And so because I connect with super connectors as much as possible, and then when I'm with them, I focus on the quality of connection and how deep we can go. And whether we have five minutes at a conference or five hours, I find that that intentionality helps me build a network. And so there's a lot of my book contributors that maybe I haven't spoken to in six months or a year, but because I've provided them value because I've made our conversations not about the weather and instead about like what is actually important. That sustains the relationship over time. And it's not a perfect formula, but it immediately saves me a lot of time because I'm also meeting and connecting with a lot of really busy people. So I can't waste their time and they're not hitting me up with super random questions. So whenever they are texting me or calling or emailing, like they need something and I'll make a connection or I'll, I'll answer it but I'm not inundated with information or with pings, which is good. And so then it allows me to focus. So it's definitely not a perfect answer, but I think if you're intentional about who you're meeting, and I guess most importantly for this conversation, how you're engaging with people, the quality of conversations, the quality of interactions can sustain a relationship over time. I mean, I'm sure there's people that you see every single day for five minutes and it's like, hey, hey, how you doing? And like, even if you've been walking by them for 10 years, like they're your doorman at where you live, or they're a neighbor, you may have zero relationship with them. But yet you're really close with that person you met at a conference and had a 20 minute chat with because you actually talked about important things and fears and family and all that. So you could literally be more connected with someone you met for 20 minutes who is a stranger than someone you've been around, maybe even a family member for like 10 years. Yeah. What are some unique things that some of the best super connectors that you've come across do? Anything that kind of stands out that's just... Well, they're all incredibly generous, like with their time, with their relationships. They're careful uh, and they understand that being held in high regard and having integrity means you have to respectfully say no and you have to respect yourself and your time. But with that being said, they're all very generous. And so that's something that I've seen, I think, they find a way to stay top of mind with a lot of people and are really good at one-to-many networking, which is something that I teach. And so you can create a Facebook group and talk to multiple people at once, or you can have an event or a podcast or an email list and have one-to-many networking and relationship building opportunities. 
And if you do that in a generous way and you do that with high integrity, you can stay top of mind with a lot of people. And so there's a spectrum of being outgoing, uh, being shy. And I know super connectors that are all parts of that spectrum. And so they just find what works for them. If they're on the shyer side, then they're just really good at maybe writing amazing emails or sharing like thoughtful updates. And if they're super outgoing, then maybe they go to a lot of dinners and events and are, are seen or are constantly retooling their network. Yeah. Are you an extrovert? I'm an ambivert, maybe. <laughs> I had a feeling. Yeah. I'm like an extroverted introvert. It depends on the day. So, I mean, I was shy growing up. I now know how to be extroverted. Sometimes I'm very outgoing. If I'm just in for a good time, sometimes I'm like, eh, don't really want to do this right now, but I need to, or it's not about me. Sometimes I'll, like this weekend, I'm talking to a lot of people, and then Monday and Tuesday, I might not talk to a lot of people, and I'll just do my own thing. Do you come across a lot of, at least I'll share my experience, a lot of people I hear use as a crutch. Oh, I'm an introvert. I can't network. And my argument, and we've got science, and I'm sure you know this also, is that introverts are actually better networkers. <laughs> they can be. I agree that there shouldn't be an excuse. It's your life at the end of the day, right? Like it's your goals on that relationship action plan, whether it's personal or professional or both. It's how you learn and interact with the world. And so you could not build relationships. <laughs> your life's going to suffer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think even outside of the business world the the quality of your life is like who you meet and how deep your relationships are with those people yeah uh, what's the quote if you think you can or you think you can't you're right yeah <laughs> you know? so if you want to use that excuse then so be it if i'm gonna see you let's say a year from now you're back for the yearly anniversary of this talk what would you hope to have accomplished whether it's your course whether it's another book or just even maybe running another ultra or running a marathon? Yeah. I mean, number one priority is growing meeting in the minds and building membership for our high-end mastermind group. This is being recorded in early August. In September, we are partnering with our first host city. and It's actually a host country in Bermuda. And so we have a couple of public and private organizations that are partaking and, and sponsoring an event there. And so we have the ability potentially to go check out other host cities and work with them to have these meeting of the minds there and continue attracting top performing business owners and super connectors who want to solve their biggest business problems by being in the same room with diverse experts and minds and other super connectors. I think if you're listening to this and you're learning the value of surrounding yourself with highly connected and highly intelligent individuals, and that's what I do at our events is we're establishing that meeting of the minds. And so we just started that this year. So hopefully in a year, that would have really taken off and we'll have some more members. I'll probably make my next book about the meeting of the minds theory. And so I think it's the ultimate problem solving vehicle. That's why tribes exist. That's why companies exist is they're ultimately trying to solve a problem at the end of the day. And I think maybe there's some updates we can add to the operating system on how you solve problems and how you build community. And I don't have all the answers, but I think going through the process of researching that will allow me to run the group in a more intelligent way and will also turn into a pretty cool book that can help any company or government or family or group of people solve problems more effectively. And I think society is screwed unless we figure out how to better solve problems because our problems are increasingly exponential and it's going to take a multidisciplinary approach to problem solving in order to solve any of them, let alone all of them. So that got super meta, like big picture for a second, but I think it, that'd be a good book to write. So I want to, don't think in a year I'll have it out. I think I'll be in the process of maybe marketing it, getting ready for launch. <laughs> and I'm training for a 50K, which is a 31 mile race. I hate running, but it makes me uh, a little more mentally tough and keeps me a little more fit than I was a year ago. So you know, a year ago, I was 20 plus pounds heavier. And so in a year from now, I would have either wanted to lose some weight, but more importantly, just keep a healthy lifestyle because I've struggled with weight my entire life. And so that's something that's really important. And with top performers, I see that they take care of themselves. They connect with themselves both by everything we spoke about and then physically and mentally and spiritually and whatever. They got their stuff figured out and then they go into the world and conquer in a positive way. In a loving conquer. <laughs> kind of like that metaphor of when you're on the airplane, you got to take the oxygen mask first. Yeah. So that's become increasingly important to me. You know, the course I'd like to see 
do well. It's definitely not mission critical, but I think it can help a lot of people change their life. Obviously, we've talked about how important networking and relationship building is and how life changing it can be. And so if people can take super connector secrets and leverage those insights to build their business, change their personal life, all the above would certainly feel good. And I think it has a market. So very excited to get that out. Yeah, those are probably the top things. Good. What do you say to the person that doesn't really get the value of networking? How do you get their mindset to shift? People that are kind of at the quote unquote top of the mountain already and feel that they've done it by themselves. I see a lot of people that they realize how important the network is retroactively. They lose their job. Oh no, I got to get the network. And then their intent is garbage or people that they're just dismissive of other people because they feel like they don't have time for somebody else. They're stuck in their own head. Yeah. I guess I run away from those people. So I don't think that's a very high integrity way of operating. And maybe they don't have that intent, but I don't attract a lot of people who think like that. So that might be my non-answer. Well, but there are people that you're trying to get to your, that are going to do your course. I'm sure there's some of them. Not everybody comes out. Yeah. I guess I would start asking them questions about how they accomplished anything that they have already. How did they get their previous job? How did they get in the relationship they're in now? How do they have the friends that they have? It's all networking relationship building. Most people didn't get a job or have a big like win in life, whether it's running a race or reading a book that they love or getting a big milestone at work because it just like came to them in a dream. Like it, someone else told them that tidbit of advice or that made the introduction that led to the job. Like, I guess I would ask questions that have people thinking back to that last champagne moment or major win and maybe get them to realize that they've been doing this all along and by becoming more effective at it and becoming more intentional at it, they can accelerate the process. That's a great answer and attributing it, just tying the connection together. This and that. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. Well, listen, you've given me a good portion of your time, which I really appreciate. I don't know if there's anything in particular that we might have missed or something that we should really drive home for anyone that's listening. No, I'm an open book. Feel free to text me one six four six eight four six seventy two hundred. Feel free to email me, Jared at three billion under thirty dot com. Happy to continue the conversation. You'd be surprised at how few people reach out. So if you are you know gonna what? reach I won't be. <laughs> <laughs> so if you are gonna reach out, listen to everything we said before this about how to reach out in an effective way. And if you do that, I'll have an immense respect for you. I mean, I'll respect you regardless, but <laughs> yeah, if you actually like listen to this and apply some of the stuff and then we connect, I'd be really grateful because I do like hearing from people when I come on shows and it leads to some great friendships. I've honestly, and some clients and mastermind group members, but even just friends. Yeah. Reach out. I'm happy to answer any questions we haven't covered here. And I definitely appreciate you for coming into the city and taking your time to chat with me. Is there anyone in particular that is a good contact for you in general? Obviously, someone who wants to be part of your class and learn more about what's going on, but is there, do you have a profile, at least right now, with some of the missions that you're working on? I mean, one that I am starting to think about more is people that are VPs, senior VPs, C-suite execs at Fortune 1000 companies who might want to have an internal meeting of the minds or who sees the value of increasing intergenerational understanding in their workplace or who wants to leverage the insights from top performing millennials. Historically, I've just not paid attention to large organizations because they're slow on average. But I want to positively impact a lot of people and a lot of influential people. And one of the best ways to do that is to partner with major companies because they have hundreds of thousands of employees potentially and millions of customers maybe. And so if I can help them think through what they're doing, that could have a major impact. I don't necessarily need to be credited for it. Like I recently worked with the global marketing team of a $200 million tequila brand. And that was really cool because they're probably going to be a billion dollar brand by 2025 is their goal or probably in the 2020s. They're owned by the same company that owns Jack Daniels. It's called Brown Foreman. And that they have a lot of people that are touched by their product. And outside of the fact that it's an alcohol product and some people may have their own views on that, I think being able to, at a very high level, help them think through how they're marketing to millennials, how they're hiring and recruiting and engaging top millennial talent can like change lives or change at least how they're showing up in the world as a brand. And so 
at least I walk away from those engagements feeling like I accomplished something. Maybe I didn't, <laughs> but uh, I've had that opportunity with a few brands like IBM. I did a TED at IBM talk and the only blurb on my last book was from one of the CMOs of IBM. There's a major now former C-suite executive coming to our event this weekend and speaking to my group. And so I just learn a lot from those people on an individual basis. But from a change the world standpoint, I think it is really important to not just look at entrepreneurs and not just look at startup founders and employees, but also look at to the major organizations that like it or not have a ton of influence. So oh, yeah. I know a few of them, but if you're listening to this and you're a VP of HR, like say hi. I actually had that happen from a previous podcast and it was like the VP of employee engagement and knowledge management at a Fortune 1000 company who's like meets every two weeks with the senior VP or the senior VPs of HR that manage the professional livelihoods of thousands of people. And they're the third largest apartment owners in the country. So they, they impact a lot of people. And I don't know if that's going to go anywhere, but that came from just going on a podcast and someone texting me. So yeah, if you're listening to this and you're an entrepreneur in a major corporation, hit me up. Are you familiar with the organization SHRM, Society yeah. of Human Resource Management? Yeah. yeah. There's some people there that you totally. want to reach I, out I to. Totally. I need to uh, play ball there a little bit more. but Yeah. I can probably make some introductions for you. Cool. So, yeah. So we'll talk about that off air. Well, listen again. Thank you. I know we're rolling. I wish you the best of success in the rest of your endeavors here in New York. You're in my network, so if there's anything that I can do for you, please don't be shy. Thank you. Yeah, and make it a great day. Thank you. Hope to hear from you guys soon. Thanks for listening to Conversations with Connors, a network-wise podcast. If you or someone you know is looking for a career change, building a business, seeking to expand sales, or is just generally interested in improving your overall health and happiness, then head on over to NetworkWise.com to gain access to a plethora of resources to help you build your networking skills and community. Those who are ambitious will network. The ones who succeed will network wise. <laughs>